God wants to change us deep down. God wants to change us deep down in the roots of our lives, in the deep places. And when he does that, then generosity in every way, in our relationships, in our hospitality, in our ministry, in our money, it becomes a supernatural hallmark of a transformed life that results. Change the root and what grows will be different. I don't know any way to be truly generous except having an encounter with Jesus Christ of him to pour his love and grace and kindness into our hearts together with the life and power of the Holy Spirit and then to repeat and to repeat and to repeat until we're changed inside and we are free to live as he calls us to. That's the goal. And this morning, the moment you've all been waiting for, we come to money. Yes. Now, I've got to declare an interest. In two weeks' time, we have a gift day here. And as you know, you've been incredibly generous in the past. And the gift day is part of the vital financing of the ministry of the church here. So all I can say is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All right? So let's read the word of God together, shall we? This is Luke chapter 18. And we're starting at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. So, this man comes up to Jesus, a ruler, it says. He's an official, maybe in the temple, maybe in the community, but he's a somebody, he's not a nobody. And he's a good guy. See, Matthew's text says he ran up and fell on his knees before Jesus. He's an earnest, sincere guy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a genuine question. He wants to know, what do I have to do to be right with God? To enter into the fullness of life with God? To be on the inside of his promises, not the outside? And with it, to receive eternal life, to be part of the kingdom of God? What do I have to do? It's all there, eternal life, or Jesus talks about treasure in heaven, or entering the kingdom of God, or being saved. Those words are all in the text, and it's all almost interchangeable. This is what he wants. And as regards eternal life, the afterlife, it's a genuine question. The Jewish faith is famously uncertain about what happens when you die. Where do you go and how does it work? I remember going once to a Jewish funeral and it, it struck me just how unclear it was what your expectations were 
And I thought, gosh, that's funny. And I went and tried to look it up afterwards and couldn't find very much that was very clear. So he's genuinely looking to Jesus for answers. He's a seeker who seems to know that he hasn't yet found. He doesn't have the answers. But whatever he's heard about Jesus, he thinks, this is the man. He'll be able to help me. I'll go and ask him. And so he asks, good teacher. And Jesus gives him this very curious answer. You think, good teacher, that's a harmless enough things to say. But it's more than just good sir or, or good morning. No, the word for good, it means morally good, upright. You see, the word teacher would have been enough. Usually that's what people say to Jesus, teacher. But he says, good teacher. He's saying something more. And Jesus picks it up and says, why do you say that? And you see, there's a dynamic here, I think. There's something of a, a rabbi-disciple, teacher-student dynamic. You know, I'll answer your question with a question. I'll, I'll probe your thinking. I'll test you on this. There's almost an undercurrent already. Do you want to be my disciple? Is that really why you're coming to me? And Jesus reminds him of all the familiar commandments. And there's an earnestness in his answer, isn't there? All of these I've kept since I was a boy. It's as if he's saying, I know, Master, I've done these. I really have but it's not enough. There's more, isn't there? And in Matthew's text, he actually adds at the end of it the question, what do I still lack? And the text says, when Jesus heard this, and I think at this point, there's a real Holy Spirit moment. I think he heard the Spirit very clearly, very specifically, before giving him a very direct and clear response. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now this is a massive leap from where we were a couple of lines earlier. And I'm guessing it's a massive shock to the man himself. He was asking, you see, is there something more I need to do? Do I need to pray more perhaps or or fast more? Do I need to do some extra service in the temple? Join the worship group or, or the kids work maybe, that's real service. Or do I need to give something extra on top of my tithe? Maybe some lump sum in the gift day. Just tell me, whatever it is, I'll do it. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's much bigger than that. Sell everything. Give to the poor. Get rid of the lot. And then come and follow me. What? Did I, did I hear you right? Sorry, sell everything. Give it all away. And then leave my life behind to come and go with you. Jesus, come on. That wasn't what I was asking. That wasn't what I meant. I can't do that. That's impossible. And the text says he became very sad. Not cross. Not angry. He didn't stomp off muttering, oh, ridiculous. I thought he might have something sensible to say. No, no. He was sad. Because he knew he couldn't do that. It sounds like part of him wished he could have done but for him, there wasn't even a choice to make. It, he just simply couldn't. That bar was too high. Why? Because he was very wealthy. So he turns away. And rather than him following Jesus, they part company. And Jesus watches him go. And I'm sure Jesus is sad too. You can hear it in what he says. You can almost see him shaking his head in sorrow as he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, 
I've got a hunch about this. I can't prove it, but I don't think Jesus was actually inviting him, saying, please come. I want you to join me. I want you to join the 12. I want to make it 13. I want you to come and follow me. You remember Jesus called the disciples, didn't he? Peter and Andrew, James and John, Matthew. He called them just with a word of command, just like that. And in Mark 3, it says, he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see, he was led by the Spirit. He took the initiative. He never asked for volunteers. He commanded followers. But this really, you see, he comes to Jesus. Jesus didn't call him. And remember, he didn't even come asking to be a disciple. That was Jesus who suddenly switched the conversation onto a different level. I think it's a bit like when God spoke to Abraham and commanded him to take his son, Isaac, and to sacrifice him. You know the story. God didn't actually want him to do it. God stepped in and stopped him from doing it. But in that command and in that test, he revealed his heart. And I think there's something similar going on here. I think Jesus tells him what he must do, knowing that he can't and won't respond. But in that test, in that command, he reveals his heart. I think the Holy Spirit led Jesus straight away to the issue why he could never actually follow Jesus. You know, it wasn't actually a lack of willingness as such. His desire was sincere, but he was very wealthy and he just couldn't get past that. When there was so much that was in his favor, so much going for him, this one thing was in the way. His riches kept him out of the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich to enter, Jesus says. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think that's just a very vivid picture. That's typical Jesus style. He illustrates how hard it is. Well, um, take the biggest animal you know. That's a camel. And then think of the smallest opening you you can think of. The eye of a needle. Put them together. That's how hard it is. I don't think it's anything to do with small gates in Jerusalem. You've heard that explanation. But I think it's just, you know, like... Take the plank out of your eyes so you can see and take the speck out of someone else's. It's, this is Jesus' picture language. But it's very serious stuff. This man's riches stopped him getting the very thing he was seeking, eternal life, to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's virtually impossible if you're rich. And the people listening are shocked. Who then can be saved? So you have to understand, in the ancient world, riches were seen as a sign of God's favor and blessing. A wealthy man was a man blessed by God. So if this genuine, good, earnest seeker, who was a rich man, a man blessed by God, if he couldn't be saved, if in fact it was especially hard for the rich to be saved, then what hope was there for anybody? That's the thinking. But Jesus replies, yes, it is impossible Except actually there's a greater truth than that. There's a trump card to play over that. With God, the impossible becomes possible. It is possible for rich and for poor alike. Not because of anything within them, but because of the grace of God. Because of the love of Jesus himself. Because of the amazing power of the Holy Spirit to break through into human hearts and to bring salvation. So if I asked you here this morning, put your hand up if you're rich. How many hands would I get, do you think? 
You see, I think when we hear this story, there's a defense mechanism that kicks in immediately. So, yeah, he's, he's talking about the rich people. That's right. It's not me, of course. He doesn't mean me. I mean, I'm not rich. Gosh, no. Well, yes, I, I've got a decent house, I suppose, and well, I drive not a bad car. We have nice holidays. It's true. They're not cheap. But, you know, gosh, we, we need those. We work so hard. It, pension? Yeah, I, I suppose it's pretty well funded. But, but that's not money here and now. I can't use that. I'm not rich. No, not like him. He's the real rich guy. I bet Jesus is talking about him. Quite right, too. Let me just say, there's nothing wrong with money itself. There's nothing wrong in being rich by itself, whatever you think rich means. There's no indication in this story that the man's wealth was acquired wrongly or that it was used badly. And if he kept all the commandments, then presumably he tithed as well. So he did all that was required. So what was the problem then? Why does Jesus say being rich is such a hindrance to entering the kingdom of God? Well, there's the obvious pleasures and temptations of wealth for a start. We like money and the things that it buys and the the doors that it opens and the lifestyle that it enables. And once you get used to that, I guess it's pretty hard to hold it all lightly. It's not easy to be willing to give all that up. See, money makes life comfortable, doesn't it? And once we're comfortable, we don't want to move to being not so comfortable to make too many sacrifices. It's pretty hard to put all that on the line once you've tasted it. But I think it's more than just that. See, with wealth can come a wealth-oriented sense of security. I'm well provided for. I've got a good cushion. That's me sorted. I'm going to be okay. With wealth can come a sense of entitlement. If you're a have rather than a have not, it's a small step to thinking, well, you're entitled to what you have. I've worked hard for it. I deserve it. Even a sense of superiority. Very subtle, of course, so it slips underneath our conscious radar. But a sense that you're you're, you're better than others because of what you own and the lifestyle that your wealth sustains. And with that can come a sense of being okay, don't need anything, don't need anyone, self-made man, entrepreneur, I make things happen. Maybe just you're from a wealthy family, but I'm okay. I look after myself. I've done it. I'm there. Self-sufficient, self-reliant, that's how I like it. But you see, that thinking is the exact opposite of the awareness of our own sin our own poverty, our own brokenness that leads us towards the mercy of God and is a gateway to the kingdom of God. Blessed, Jesus said, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's very, very hard to be wealthy and yet to be poor in spirit, to have a humble heart, an awareness of one's own deep need for mercy apart from the grace of God. It's possible. If you're a Christian, you've got his spirit within you, you've experienced the love of God, there are some very wealthy people whom God has trusted with great wealth. Most of us couldn't handle it. Pray that you never win the lottery, seriously. Don't even buy a ticket, but please, don't win the lottery. But there are few that are gifted that way, who are incredibly faithful with riches, with money, and God delights to bless them. You see, wealth itself is not the problem. The problem is what it does to our heart. Though your riches increase, says Psalm 62, do not set your heart on them. That's the problem. 
That's the danger. And Jesus warns, you remember the parable of the sower, about the, the thorns that grow up to choke the word of God, the life of God in you. He warns about the deceitfulness of wealth. You see, wealth lies to us. It tells us this is the life, when it's not the life God wants you at all. It tells us we're okay, when actually we're not okay. It tells us to take it easy, when Jesus says, take up your cross. It's hard enough if you're a Christian. But if you're not, well, Jesus says there's something about money that has a unique power to keep you away from the grace and the mercy of God because you don't think you need it and you're too blinded to see it. There's just something unique about wealth and its deceitfulness that can wrap its tentacles around the human heart and keep it a prisoner forever all the way to hell. This is what I'll do, says the man in another parable in Luke 12. This is what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns for myself. I'll keep all my grain, all my possessions there. And then I'll say to myself, oh, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. And God says, you fool, tonight you die. Lost forever because you thought you were okay instead of realizing your desperate need of my grace. It's interesting, you see, this story of the young ruler, it comes immediately after the passage where the disciples are keeping those who want to bring children to to Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 let them come. He says, anyone who won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So those that shouldn't come to Jesus, the children, oh gosh, no, those who shouldn't come to Jesus, they come. And the ruler, who's somebody who should come to Jesus, he's a perfect candidate for the kingdom of God, he goes away sad because he can't just come running like a little child and leave the rest of it behind and come to Jesus and wrap his arms gratefully around the only thing that really matters, the wonderful free gift of God that is eternal life. He can't do it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing, not a sausage. Just admit there's nothing you can do and come running to receive it as a free gift instead. I said we had an instinctive defense mechanism that kicks in. So we don't think of ourselves as rich when we hear this story. Well, there's another one as well. Another defense mechanism. Sell everything you have, Jesus says. Give to the poor and then come follow me. Now, of course, we say, that doesn't apply to me. Jesus was identifying this man's particular issue. This is for him. Jesus isn't actually literally telling me to do that. He's not talking to me like that. How very convenient. I remember talking to my son, Tim, about this passage. Now, you know, he's young, he's a bit of a zealot, takes things rather literally. He doesn't have the benefit of my experience and maturity. And he was very down the line. Well, why not? Why shouldn't we take it literally? That's just a cop-out. And I thought, or perhaps I said, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a student. You've got no money. You've got nothing to lose. And then I saw what I'd said. I'd skewered myself. It's easy for him, but it's much harder for me because I've got more to lose. So am I in just the same position as our friend, the rich ruler? Am I facing exactly the same dilemma as him? Sell it all or walk away from Christ? Well, you know from what I said already, I don't think Jesus was actually telling this man to do that and wanting him to respond. I think he was effectively saying, this is what it costs to follow me. Are you ready for that? Answer, no. But here's the thing. 
Even if we decide Jesus is not actually commanding us to sell everything and give it all away, that does not get us off the hook. It does not mean one bit that we can breathe a sigh of relief, turn over to the next chapter and just carry on as usual. This passage is not meant to leave us feeling any more comfortable than the rich young ruler. You see, there's a clue a few chapters back in Luke's gospel where an expert in the law asked Jesus this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same words exactly. But he's actually asking to test Jesus, not because he wants to know the answer. But Jesus answers him too with a question. What does the law say? Again, just like our passage, he's answering with reference to God's commandments. And the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, correct. And we know it's correct because Jesus himself says, Matthew 22, those are the greatest commandments. Do this, Jesus says, and you shall live. If you can do that, you'll have eternal life. You'll enter the kingdom of God. You see, I think that helps us understand our passage. If we want to know eternal life, if we want the life of God, if we want the riches of heaven, if we want the joy of his kingdom, then we give him absolute first place in everything. We make him Lord of all we are and all we have. We lay everything totally at his feet and we love him with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And we love other people too. And that means with actions, not in our emotions. See, for our rich young ruler, I think Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, he simply cut straight to the chase. Maybe in many ways, this man could have embraced what was being asked, but not in one major way, his wealth and his possessions. So I think for us, rich or poor, no distinction, the call is exactly the same. Jesus says to me, give up to me all that you are, all that you have in every way. Give me your time your ambition, your career, your energy, your leisure, your freedom of choice, your family. Oh, and specifically to your money and possessions. Give it all to me first and then also to others as I direct you. And come, follow me. And unless I can say, Lord, you know what's in my bank account. You know what my house is worth. You know the provision I'm seeking to make for my retirement, if there is one for my children you know about the wine store in my garage you know it all including the bits that are most important to me unless i can say jesus it's all yours whatever you tell me to do with it as long as i know it's really you telling me i will try to obey just please help me in my weakness unless i can say that then i'm no different to the rich ruler that's the challenge for me and also for you And I ask myself, when did I last do something out of the ordinary with my possessions or my money? Am I open to hearing God's promptings? And am I willing to obey them? Sure, I tithe, like the rich ruler did. But is that it? Am I just thinking, great, the rest is mine? Have I been lulled to sleep by the much that I have and the comfort of my life? Has the deceitfulness of wealth got a hold on me? Have I just gradually let myself be conformed to the materialism that's all around. See, like Tim, my son, I was pretty radical once. What about now? Where am I now? You see, I think of myself as being, well, you know, I'm pretty generous. I don't do bad. But I can tell you there's plenty of meanness still in there. Jesus says, you see, here's an example. Luke 6, Jesus says, give to everyone who asks you. Pretty simple, huh? You can understand that. And if you've got a generous heart, 
No problem doing that. Well, you know the big issue lady in Amersham? Her name's Clara, outside M&S. She's a believer. I've talked with her. I've prayed with her. And I know some of you have too. And I buy a big issue when I see her on Saturday. If Pauline hasn't done it already, she's very good. She doesn't let us both buy. She knows. But you see, sometimes I just pop out quickly to M&S to get a loaf of bread. That's it. Just one thing and I'm back. And I think, oh, no. She'll be there. That's another £2.50 just for a loaf of bread. Or if it's later in the afternoon, about four o'clock, I'm walking down the road, I'm thinking, oh, she may have gone by now. Hope so. Oh, rat, she's still there. And the answer isn't, you know, buy one anyway and smile through gritted teeth. Because it's not about changing our actions, remember. It's about changing the route so the actions follow. So I pray, I really do. I pray, Lord... You tell me to be generous and just look at me. You look after me. You provide for me. You take care of me. And you want me to be like you. And actually, I I really, deep down, I want that too. I really do. So, Lord, I choose now to buy a big issue and I choose to do it gladly. I open my heart. Please forgive me and just please help me. It's only Jesus who can change us to make us generous. See, the way it works is like this. We say yes to Jesus, we enter the kingdom of God, we become a Christian, Christ comes into our life, the Holy Spirit is poured into our heart, and immediately there's a fundamental change at the root, at the core of our being. It's called being born again, it's a new start and it's a new heart. That's where it starts, wonderful. Then maybe sometime later, Jesus fingers us through the Holy Spirit. Hey, hey Julian, he says, let's talk about money. There's something we know he wants us to do. Or to give in some way. It may be a one-off. Or he may want to show us what we're like. And how he wants us to be different. God wants to work further on our heart. And if we submit. If we embrace it. If we obey. It can be a breakthrough moment. He changes us to another level. We discover the joy of being generous. That it doesn't just please him. It also pleases us too. Hey, it really is better to give than to receive. The spirit of God is at work in us. Making us more like Christ. But even then, there's another dimension as well. Even then, we still have to do our bit, you see. He's the one that changes our heart so that there's a new root. And from this new root, there are new shrubs of generosity that grow. But we have to keep the thorns at bay. We have to cut them down ruthlessly. We have to guard our heart, like me with the big issue lady. We have to cut back the thorns and feed what God is growing in us instead. So you have to find a way. Find a way to give something to someone every day. Practice generosity. Because we're none of us ever completely free from the lure, the deceitfulness of wealth. It'll strangle us given half a chance. The heart that God has wonderfully opened up will close shut again if we don't keep it open by our daily choices, big and small, big and small. And there's one other thing as well you need to know. If you're going to win through on this, You need to catch a vision of the kingdom of God and all that he has for you that is far more attractive than mere worldly wealth. When we realize there's something that is genuinely far better than the pull of money, it loses its grip on us. Something drops off and instead money becomes, well, just money as it should be when we see something greater. See, there's one little detail in the story of the rich ruler. We don't find in Luke, but we find it in Mark instead. In Mark, he says, all these commands I've kept since I was a boy. And in Mark's gospel, it says, 
Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. He saw his desire to do what was right. He saw the earnestness of his heart. He saw his right living, his obedience to the commandments over all these years, and he loved him. Oh, he so wanted the best for him. But then he delivered the killer line that he knew would mean that the man would go and he'd leave sad and empty-handed except for his wealth. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And I think, you see, it's all too easy to make the mistake. I instinctively look at this story through the eyes of the ruler. We imagine it's us, you know, go sell all you have. Oh, gosh, that's hard. How would I respond to that? What a cost. What a sacrifice. But if we look at it instead through Jesus' eyes, we see something very different. Oh, Jesus says, you're so close, and yet you're so far. All the riches of heaven are yours if you'd only let go of money. Don't miss out, please. Come and be set free. Come and know more joy than you could ever imagine. Like Zacchaeus in the next chapter, the eternal life you're asking for is yours in abundance. If only you can take your eyes off this worldly stuff that can never satisfy you anyway. Just trust me instead. In Jim Elliot's words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Jim Elliot's words, in God's words to the rich man who built all those barns, by this terminology, the rich man, the rich ruler, he's a fool. He went away sad, and Jesus was even sadder. How hard for the rich, he says, to miss out on so much for the sake of so little. And at the end of the story, let's go back to the story. Peter like the other listeners. He's completely thrown by what he's seen and what he's heard. Can't understand it. Who then can be saved, the people have asked in confusion. Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, we have left everything. We've left all we had to follow you. The rich man couldn't do it, but Lord, we did it. And in Matthew's version, Peter adds the question, what then will there be for us? So Peter says, Lord, I don't understand If he couldn't be saved, where does that leave us? Can we be saved? Did did we leave it all behind for nothing? Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, no one will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, you get it all. You get it here in this life many times as much and you get eternal life as well. Peter, don't worry. You're no fool. You've chosen wisely. All the riches of heaven are yours. You'll never regret the choice you've made. Left home? You'll have a home wherever you go. Wherever you find my people, you'll have a welcome, you'll have a home. Left your parents? I'll give you parents amongst my family who'll care for you and love you and guide you with wisdom and give you an example. Left children? Well, I'll give you children in my kingdom that you can have the joy of loving and nurturing and seeing grow in the gospel. Left behind the prospect of marriage and children? God says, I will make it up to you. I'll make it good. And Peter, actually, I'll make you a fisher of men. You'll be a spiritual midwife to more babies than you can count. And as for eternity, Peter, no eye has seen, no mind can imagine what God has in store for those who love him. 
Peter, anything you have left for me, my father will repay you many times over. Don't you worry about that. may not be in the same currency. It may not be cash for cash, but you will be richly blessed. And just as an aside, Jesus wants you to grab hold of that. You know, we can be too sort of holy. Oh, I'm not doing it for the reward. I just want to do the right thing. No, Jesus says it, you see, again and again and again. Jesus puts it up there that there is a reward, that you will be repaid and more. Jesus says, he, Jesus says give and it will be given to you. He doesn't just say give for its own sake because it's all right. No, he says give and know that you will get given back. Jesus says, give a banquet for the lame and the poor. We had that the other week. And you will be repaid at the resurrection. They won't repay you, but boy, my father will. The promise is, he who sows generously, reaps generously. It's not just a command, there's also a promise. Bring in the full tithe, God says, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Always, again and again, there's the command and there's the promise. Because you need to know the promises. They will help you. They will help to set you free to choose the riches of heaven over the trinkets that earth dangles in front of you instead. Because Jesus loves you as he loved the rich ruler, he wants the very best for you. He wants to help you choose the treasures of heaven over the worthless baubles of this earth. I'd just like us to pray together. No, you know, no coming out the front. This is just you and the Lord. I hope in some way you've heard his voice today. He truly wants the best for you. And money is just something you have to constantly, constantly review your heart. Lord, where am I? Where am I? Am I being obedient? Am I willing? Am I open? Can I hear your voice? Are you asking me to do something? Because there's life at the end of it. If I obey it and hear it, there's life. So, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you going to choose this morning? Will you bring me everything, Jesus says? Will you lay it on the line, give it up to me, not knowing what I'll ask of you? It won't be the same as the person next to you. But will you put me first, come what may? Will you choose this morning? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Whatever the cost. See, this is just the starting point this morning. Being generous is what comes tomorrow. But this is where it starts. Holy Spirit, please come now. Please come and speak to us individually. Lord, you don't want us to be fools. You don't want us to miss the big thing that you have for us for the sake of, well, rubbish. Come, Holy Spirit.